The Mayday Murders is copyright 2005 by Scott Wittenberg. To learn more about this and other novels by the author, please visit scottwittenberg.com. Chapter 5 Anne stood in the doorway staring at her sleeping daughter and debated whether or not to wake her up. It was tempting, just to get back at her for coming home so late last night and worrying her half to death. But she relented when she saw how peaceful her daughter looked, all snuggled up with her head buried underneath her pillow. She turned and quietly closed the bedroom door behind her. She crept down the stairs and went into the kitchen, wrote Amy a quick note, then gathered up her things and headed out the front door. It was noticeably cooler than it had been the day before, and the sun was shining brightly as she got in her car and started it up. As she was backing out of the driveway, it suddenly dawned on her that she had forgotten to call Mr. Ogilvie about fixing the floodlight in the backyard, and made a mental note to call him the moment she got back home. The supermarket wasn't far, only a few blocks away, so Anne drove slowly, taking in the quiet peacefulness of the neighborhood on a Sunday morning. Anne waited for a traffic light to change, then made a ride onto High Street. She reached the supermarket in another three blocks and pulled into the parking lot, relieved to find that there were only a dozen or so cars parked outside. Since moving to Columbus, she had gotten in the habit of doing her grocery shopping on Sunday mornings, since it was rarely crowded then. Shopping had a certain therapeutic value to it, she had learned long ago. It helped to get her mind off things that were troubling her. She went inside, grabbed a shopping cart, then spent the next half hour or so meandering through the aisles. When she was finished, she headed for the least crowded checkout line and waited. There were only a couple of customers ahead of her, an elderly woman with a nearly full cart, and the man standing directly in front of Anne, who had only a few items. She had seen the man before, last week in fact, and she remembered him because he was wearing the exact same thing he had worn last Sunday, a gray wool suit and no overcoat. Her hunch was that he had just gotten out of church and had stopped by to pick up a few things before going home. He was strikingly handsome, she had to admit, tall, muscular build, with neatly styled longish blonde hair. His eyes were green, she recalled, a very dark, rich shade of green as stunning as it was unusual. He was probably about forty, she guessed, and appeared fit and youthful with his trim athletic physique and bronze tan skin, no doubt the result of numerous trips to a tanning salon. The elderly woman was unloading her cart and taking her good old time about it. Anne heard the man in front of her sigh impatiently. She observed the handful of items he had placed on the conveyor. A pound of ground chuck, a package of hamburger buns, a jar of pickles, a head of lettuce, and a six-pack of coke. Glancing over at the express lane, Anne wondered why he didn't simply go over there instead of putting up with the old lady like this, and then noticed that there were half a dozen people standing in line there. The checkout girl was quickly losing her patience as she was being forced to wait while the elderly woman took each item out of her cart, one by one, and set them on the counter for her to scan. The woman was old, granted, but far from feeble. Anne deduced that she was the type of ancient hag who seemed to wear a general contempt for the world on her sleeve, and was thoroughly enjoying what she was doing. She saw the twisted smirk on her face each time she leaned over a cart to retrieve the next item. She could almost envision the old lady sliding in behind the wheel of her 68 Oldsmobile when she was finished here, and purposely driving 15 miles an hour all the way to her home just to tie up traffic. The man sighed again, and began tapping the lid of the pickle jar nervously with his fingers. Although his back was to her, Anne could almost see the subtle scowl on his handsome face as he waited his turn. Suddenly he glanced back 
apparently see how many more people were being held up by this woman. He smiled a little when he saw her, shrugged his shoulders in a gesture of hopelessness, and turned around again. Ann had smiled back at him, unable to resist the temptation. His demeanor was quite charismatic. When the woman had finally placed the last of her groceries out on the counter to be scanned, she took out her well-worn billfold and produced a wad of one-dollar bills, then started counting them out. When she had at last counted out the thirty-eight ones she needed, she fumbled through her change purse to cover the sixty-four cents and hand the coins to the checkout girl, snatched her receipt, then went on her merry way, and began taking her groceries out of her cart as the man stepped forward to be checked out. "'Sorry for the wait, sir,' Anne heard the checkout girl say to him. "'That's quite all right. It wasn't your fault,' the man replied good-naturedly. His voice was deep and pleasant, with the slightest trace of an English accent. Nine fifty-three, the girl told him, and watched as the man handed her a ten-dollar bill. Out of ten, she said. Thank you, sir. Have a nice day. You too, he replied. He picked up his bag and headed for the door. Anne resumed, taking out her groceries, and noticed that the man had forgotten his six-pack of Coke. The checkout girl noticed it at the same time. Sir, you forgot, she shouted, but the man was already out the door. Anne hesitated a second, then peered at the checkout girl. I'll take it out to him. "'Thanks. I really appreciate it,' the girl said, relieved. Anne swooped up the coke and ran out the door. She spotted the man just as he was about to get into his car. "'Sir!' she called after him. He turned around as Anne continued running toward him. "'You forgot this,' she said, holding up the six-pack of coke. The stranger smiled at her and said, "'Oh, thanks. This is what happens when you're in a hurry, I guess.' When she drew up to him, breathless, Anne handed him the coke and said, "'I'm sure that woman in front of us wasn't much help either.' He grinned. Hell could have frozen over in the time it took that old Betty to take those groceries out of her cart. Anne laughed and said, I better get back inside. He seemed disappointed. Thanks again, uh, Anne. Thanks, Anne. It was very kind of you. Anne nodded, then turned to leave. Wait a second, Anne. She turned back around. Yes? This may sound terribly forward of me, but I'd really like to repay you somehow for your kindness. Like dinner, perhaps? Anne suddenly felt uncomfortable. She replied, "'That's not really necessary. "'Jerry, Jerry Rankin. "'I'm sorry. "'That was very rude of me putting you on the spot like that. "'And I see now that you're married. "'Please accept my apology, Anne.' "'Anne glanced down her wedding band, then back at him. "'He seemed genuinely embarrassed, and, in fact, ashamed of himself for hitting on her. "'Anne realized that she could simply let him go on thinking that she was married, "'and that would be the end of it. "'But for some reason she didn't. "'I'm divorced. "'Instead of looking relieved, Jerry Rankin frowned. I'm sorry to hear that, Anne. I've just recently become a widower and have a pretty good idea of what you must be going through. My life hasn't been the same since I lost Marie. It's been a very difficult adjustment to make. Anne felt a wave of pity. I'm sorry too, Jerry. I might as well be honest with you. I was the one who wanted the divorce. But it hasn't made it any easier to adjust, as you put it. He suddenly glanced at his watch. Listen, Anne, I'm running late for an appointment and I know you must go back inside. "'but I would be delighted if you'd reconsider my offer.' "'Before Anne could object, he reached into his breast pocket, "'pulled out a business card, and handed it to her. "'If you should change your mind, or simply want to chat sometime, "'just give me a call, okay? No catch, no strings.' "'Anne stared at the card for a moment, then took it from his proffered hand. "'I'll think about it, Jerry, but I can't make any promises.' "'He smiled broadly and said, "'I understand, Anne.' If I don't hear from you, I'll only feel regret that we never had the chance to get to know one another. You're a lovely woman, as well as kind. His flattery made Anne melt a little. Thank you, Jerry. I'll think about it. I promise. 
I better go back inside now. Nice meeting you, Anne. Good day, he said, and stepped into his BMW. Goodbye, Anne said, then turned and walked away. When Anne returned, the checkout girl had already bagged her groceries and was standing patiently by the register. Did you catch him? she asked. Anne nodded. He was very grateful. How much do I owe you? Sixty-seven forty-two. the checkout girl replied. Anne quickly wrote out a check for the amount, feeling the eyes glaring at her from behind. She handed the check over and showed the girl her driver's license. Thanks, she said as she cleared the register and gave Anne a receipt. Thank you. Back in her car, Anne took Jerry's business card from her purse and studied it. He was a real estate broker, apparently working independently, and the card listed a Dublin address with a local phone number. She wondered if she'd made a mistake in accepting it, then decided that she hadn't. The ball was in her court, after all. She stuck the card back into her purse and started up the engine. When she got home, she could hear the television coming from the family room as she carried the grocery bags into the kitchen. After setting them down on the table, she decided to go in and see if Amy wanted any breakfast. "'Good morning, sleepyhead,' she said as she entered the family room. Amy was sitting on the sofa watching cartoons. "'Morning, Mom,' she mumbled, not taking her eyes off the tube. "'Have you eaten yet?' "'No, I'm not hungry.' "'You need to start eating, young lady. Let me fix you a bowl of cereal,' Anne insisted. "'I'll eat later, Mom. Let me wake up first, okay?' she whined. All right, but don't forget. Any calls while I was gone? Karen called. I told you you'd call her back. Speaking of calls, who was it that called in the middle of the night? Anne asked, suddenly recalling the phone ringing at 3 a.m. Amy glanced over at her. I don't know. Don't lie to me, Amy. I know damn well it wasn't for me. Really, Mom? I don't know who it was. Some crank caller. Anne immediately sensed there was more to this. What do you mean? Did he say anything? He sure did. He was some pervert, she replied with a scowl. Anne winced. What did he say, Amy? Amy's eyes returned to the television. After some hesitation, she said, He just breathed really hard at first, you know. Then he said something. Anne felt her pulse quicken. She strode over so she could face her daughter. Tell me what he said, Amy. Amy was silent for a moment, and then she looked directly into her mother's eyes. He said... I want to fuck you. Anne recoiled, but kept her composure. Is that all he said? Yes. And what did you say? Amy leered at her. Nothing, mother. Do you think I'm crazy? I hung up the phone right away. Well, you did the right thing, sweetie. And if he ever calls again, just hang up on him again. Don't stay on the line. Don't worry, I won't. Anne could see that Amy was upset about the call, but was trying her hardest not to show it. Do you have any idea who it could have been, honey? She asked. Amy's eyes had returned to Bugs Bunny. No. Anne couldn't tell if she was telling the truth or not, but gave her the benefit of the doubt. Did he sound young or old? She asked. I couldn't tell, Mom. I was half asleep, you know. Anne stared at her a moment and could feel her nerves becoming taut as she thought about her little girl being traumatized by an obscene phone caller. Once again, she wished Sam were here to help her now. He'd know what to do. But he wasn't here, and it was just the two of them. Then she recalled the sound she thought she had heard in the backyard as a huge wave of apprehension swept over her. Maybe it hadn't been her imagination after all. And the porch light. The floodlight, she thought. She must call Mr. Ogilvy right away. But first, she sat down beside Amy and asked, Are you all right, honey? Amy looked directly into her eyes. Yeah, I'm fine, Mom. Anne embraced her. 
I love you, sweetie, she whispered, feeling a sudden urge to cry. I love you too, Mom. Anne hastened to compose herself and started to get up, but Amy held on to her. Don't worry, Mom. Everything's going to be all right. Anne rested her head on her shoulder. I know. She hugged her a few moments longer, then stood up again. I think I'll call Karen back. She started to leave, then stopped herself and turned to Amy. I really wish you'd wear a robe or something to cover yourself up, she said, regarding her daughter's scanty attire, a threadbare T-shirt and panties. Amy looked at her, her mouth agape. God, Mom, don't be so paranoid. Anne stared at her reproachfully, let out a sigh, and left the room. She stopped in the living room to get her address book out of the end-table drawer and took it with her into the kitchen. After finding Mr. Ogilvy's telephone number, she picked up the phone and dialed. He answered after the second ring. Mr. Ogilvy, this is Anne Middleton. Yes, how are you, Mrs. Middleton? Fine, thank you, but I have a little problem. The light in the backyard is acting up again. What's that? Has the bulb burned out? Anne could almost see the crotchety old man's dour expression as he spoke. I don't think so, Mr. Ogilvy. It must be shorting out again, because it goes on sometimes, then goes out for a while, and then comes on again, just like it was doing before. There was a pause. Then, can't be. I fixed that wiring last time I was there. Must be something else. Anne didn't want to argue with him. Well, whatever it is, I'd really appreciate it if you'd take a look at it. As soon as possible, if you don't mind, she asserted. Another pause, and he said, All right, Mrs. Middleton. I'll stop by sometime this afternoon and take a look at it. Thanks a lot, Mr. Ogilvy. I really do appreciate it. You're welcome, he granted and hung up. Anne pushed down the button and dialed Karen Walker's number. Hi, Karen. Amy told me you called while I was at the supermarket. How are you feeling? Not real great. What's the matter? Is it Marcia? Karen asked, concerned. No, not that. Something else. Last night I thought I heard a prowler in the backyard. Two different times, as a matter of fact. Amy was at the movies. At least she was the second time, and I was here all alone. Anyway, I looked out the window to see what was making the noise, but that damn floodlight that's always acting up wasn't working. I could see fairly well, though, and didn't notice anything unusual, so I figured it must have been either an animal or just my imagination. I didn't mention this to you last night, but the front porch light was off when we got back from Smithtown, too. It looked like someone had screwed the bulb out partially, because it was loose in the socket and not burned out. Again, I thought it was just pure coincidence and didn't give it much thought at the time. Well, now I've just learned that Amy got an obscene phone call in the middle of the night. This guy apparently did the heavy breathing routine, then said, I want to fuck you. Amy, God lover, wisely hung up on him immediately. Jesus, Karen, this is so frightening. I'm scared. All right, Anne, just calm down a second. Do you think the prowler and the caller might have been the same person? I don't know, Karen. I'm not even sure there was a prowler. All I know is that some sick son of a bitch terrorized my daughter on the phone. Well, I certainly don't blame you for being upset. I'd be, too. Have you reported it to the police yet? No, I called you first. Then here's what you do. Call the police and tell them what happened. Tell them everything. They'll probably tell you there's nothing they can do about the obscene phone call, but surely they'll offer to come and keep an eye on your house for a while, I should think. That will at least give you a little peace of mind. In the meantime, get that light in your backyard fixed. Do it today. I've already called the landlord, and he's coming over this afternoon to take a look at it, Anne said. Good. So will you call the police? Yes, I will, Karen. I don't know what I'd do without you. You always know the right thing to do. I'm not sure I would have even thought of calling the police. 
Well, hon, you've been under a lot of stress lately. That's all. There's just too much happening all at once, and you're not quite yourself. I'm just doing what any friend would do. And I appreciate it. I feel a lot better already. I'm happy to hear that. I hate to say this, but this is all the more reason why you need to get a man in your life. I mean, for security, if nothing else. Here you are, two gorgeous girls living all alone, without a man around, and you're sitting ducks for things like this. Get yourself a man, hun. Your troubles will be over. And managed to smile at her friend's persistence. You know, it's funny you'd say that, because I just met someone this morning at the supermarket. Really? That's wonderful. Tell me all about him, Karen gushed excitedly. Calm down a little, Karen. It's really not that big a deal, Anne declared. She then proceeded to tell her friend about the brief encounter with Jerry Rankin. When she was finished, Karen said, So what are you going to do? You're going to call him, aren't you? Anne sighed. I don't know, Karen. I doubt it. Why not call him? He sounds like a very nice guy, and believe me, there are few and far between nowadays. Plus, he said he was a hunk. What's stopping you, gal? I said he was handsome, Karen, not a hunk. At any rate, as I told you yesterday, I'm just not ready for a relationship. I don't know if I'll ever be, for that matter. Who said anything about a relationship? Karen persisted. The guy just wants to take you out to dinner, not marry you. Listen, he's a widower, right? So he's probably not any more interested in a relationship than you are. He's probably lonely, like you, and at the crossroads of life, like you. It sounds perfect. What do you have to lose? Anne sometimes resented the way Karen made everything out to seem so logical. She took a deep breath and said, Okay, Karen, you've made your point. I guess when you put it that way, it doesn't seem like such a bad idea. I'll give it some serious thought, I promise. But don't get on my case if I don't go through with it. Anne, I would never pressure you over anything like this, and you know it. I'm just trying to encourage you a little. God knows you need encouragement. One last thing before I drop the subject. It won't hurt anything if you just call this guy and talk to him, just like he suggested. You know, get to know him a little bit, and play it by ear. Then, if it looks good, go ahead and let him take you out. If he sounds like a creep, then just ditch him. Simple as that. Anne sighed. I guess you're right. It's not like I have to go out with him, right? I could just go and talk to him, being careful not to tell him my last name, or anything else that might enable him to find out my phone number or where I live then just take it from there. Actually, he didn't remind me of the type who would hassle me. He was really sweet. Okay, I might do it, but I'm still going to think about it first. Great, Karen said. Promise me you'll let me know the scoop if and when you do call him, okay? I will, Ian replied. How was the movie, by the way? Pretty stupid, really. We went to see one of those sci-fi action movies. Bill loves them, and I fell asleep. Dinner was nice, though. We went to Angelino's. I've heard that was a pretty decent restaurant, Anne said. It's fantastic. Maybe if you hook up with this Jerry fellow, we can double sometime. Anne chuckled. You are unbelievable, Karen. I know it. Well, hon, I'd better let you go. If I don't talk to you in the meantime, I'll see you at the office tomorrow. Okay, Karen, and thanks again. No problem. Bye. Anne hung up the phone and sat for a moment, thinking about what Karen had said. Maybe she was right, she thought. It wouldn't hurt just to call Jerry Rankin up some day and chat with him. She might even be glad she'd followed through with it. But right now she had a more important call to make. She flipped to the page with the emergency numbers listed on it, then dialed the number for the Woodcrest Police Department.
For more information about the Mayday Murders and other books by the author, please visit scottwittenberg.com. Thanks for listening.